You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Fears. I'm Jeff Burkus. This is EJ Snyder. We're going to talk Chicago Bears football and some other stuff in this weekly show where you can ask us anything. So, EJ, how are you doing today? And um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're doing a little better than the birthday boy, Ryan Poles. I'm, I'm doing a lot better i think than birthday boy ryan poles i would not there are many days i would like to switch chairs with him today he can have it um this is the stuff that gms get paid big boy bucks for and i want no part of it so yeah my day has been better than that it has been a little scrambled as you can imagine um this is my second youtube bish event of the day um but yeah i have gone straight to an iced shot of lunazul clear tequila which i will be following up with a buena visa salt and lime lager because it's a two fisty kind of day that kind of day i agree uh i do not have a beer with me but i do have a very nice bottle that i'm breaking out this is uh peerless this is single barrel I think I talked about this on the last show and uh, we had a, a question about what was a good whiskey gift. This is the single barrel that I got. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to have that on the show. It's really good. So mm-hmm. had a few out of this. Um, I would say it's, you know, for special occasions. And, you know, there's not a more special occasion than the birthday of the general manager of your favorite football team who went through it today. So I'm sure that he's having a bourbon, but for different reasons. So yeah. Let's kick it off with a non-football question, because I'm sure we're going to get into some football. And uh, I wanted to do a a non-football question. And while we're on the topic of consumption, uh, Curtis Rogers, the true Curtis on Twitter, says, um, what's what's your favorite meal or food for game days? He's a big homemade pizza guy, which uh, thanks for the invite. I assume that that's an implicit invite for us to come over at any any time for for watching a game but what's your kind of go-to ej right now i have to say that courtesy of my lovely wife um pot belly deli which is a sandwich place sure and they have locations all over the place but they put one in not super close so it's an effort to go up and get sandwiches and she's made that a special sunday thing for the last couple of weeks so we sort of put in our orders and i I don't know about you. I find their sandwiches really enjoyable. Um, some places in the country are blessed with lots of great sandwich places and other places have less great sandwich places. Northwest is sort of in the middle, but pop Ellie deli sandwiches right now on Sundays. Uh, I get one. I eat, you know, half of it during halftime of the first game. And usually by the end of the second game, I've gone back and eaten the other half. It just, it's the right amount. It's great food, super tasty. So uh, right now that is, that is kind of the Sunday go-to. Yeah. I, I think, uh, for me, it's probably nachos. That's probably my favorite thing. Mm. I also enjoy that as a post long run, uh, treat. So you got the yeah. kind of saltiness and I mean, it's not good for you at all, but like, you know, I feel like I can get away with it if I have just, uh, uh, you know, ran, run 10 miles or something like that. So yeah, it's kind of, it can kind of like go together, right? If I run a long run early Sunday morning, grab some nachos, watch the game. I think that really works. That's generally our, our go-to Super Bowl uh, meal too, is we do like a seven layer dip or a nacho kind of depending. Oh yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then we roll with like some, some wings 
you know, I'm married to a vegan, so they are vegan wings, but still like those are good too. So nothing sure. wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, let's get to, the, to a football question. Mike Smith, and you gotta, you gotta uh, admire a guy whose Twitter handle, handle is beer me Smith. Uh, and he says, when I look at tape reviews, I see tons of missed blocks and poorly run routes. Do you think Getsy has been making it too complex considering the execution level? He goes on to ask, like, if you simplify it, will it make it better or faster? So I'm curious what you're seeing uh, with the Luke Getsy offense here. Well, we have to remember that offensive coordinator is is up here in, in the hierarchy. They are responsible for the offensive game plan. There are lots of position coaches underneath them and specialist coaches. And everybody, I think one of the downsides of modern sports media is that we focus on the stars. We focus on the quarterbacks. And it's not just a football thing. Uh, it becomes X versus X, you know, player versus this player when it's team sport versus team sport. Offensive football requires a lot of people moving in unison correctly. We are, uh, I don't want to say spoiled, but we certainly have grown to expect as professional football fans that we will not see um, mistakes of those caliber uh, very often. And we have seen lots of them uh, across all the position groups. Like nobody is exempt here. Uh, the receivers have run wrong routes. The offensive linemen have had communication errors. They've also had physical errors, the inability to play their technique correctly on the field. Uh, we have seen plenty of errors from the quarterback position. Um, and then we've seen what I will call coaching errors where, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't do something that many times without changing it. You shouldn't do something uh, that is that kind of play that doesn't have answers for what the defense is doing. Um, and the problem is there are so many errors spread across so many different areas of the football team that it is people keep asking me and they probably keep asking you too, what would you do to fix the bears? And the answer is, well, kind of all of everything. There's not, <laughs> there is no one thing like it's not, Oh, if they get the offensive line fixed, which we've had in previous years, like, Hey, if you do this one thing, everything will start to come together. There are so many errors in so many places that you it, I don't think it has to do with complexity. Some of these concepts are pretty darn simple. Like there are high schools, lots and lots of high schools out there that run a lot of these concepts. And quite frankly, a lot of the blocking schemes, like the, I don't want to say it's too simplistic, but there are plenty of simple or what I will call very regular accessible football concepts sprinkled throughout the bears game plan. This is not exotic stuff, but it's not being executed at even a baseline level. So is simplifying it going to make it better? It doesn't feel like it at this point. I think Ben Solak, the ringer had a very nice column today about, uh, about the bears issues. And he yeah. was basically like throwing up his hands and saying, I don't know, man, like it, it's it, everywhere. It, the concept was, it's very hard to dole out blame or it's very easy to blame, but it's very hard to give it out in terms of like percentages and responsibility, who's, yep. you know, who's making the mistakes or who's more responsible for what. And basically it was, this offense is a mess. Like Luke Getzey, what, you know, sequencing and, you know, calling That's the same play terrible. over and over. And, um, you know, these, these, these concepts and they don't really fit together. Like, you know, what, what are you doing? You're not taking advantage of what the quarterback did well last year that you proved as, as a con proof of concept you had yeah. last year, something that worked, you should maybe make that the base and build off of that. But that seems to have been put in the scrap heap. And now you're focusing on things that he's not good at and trying to build the offensive around that. So like how much of this is Luke Getzey? How much of this is Brian Poles for not putting the right pieces in place? You know, maybe uh, bringing in guys that have strengths that, and then you're asking them to do something different, right? Like there's, there's a piece of that. Um, where are you focusing your resources? And then Justin Fields, you know, like, are you thinking too much? Are you, you know, you, you see it, but you're not ripping the ball in like, and then it's infuriating because the next possession you rip three passes and you look great. Right. Like, so there's this really odd, you know, that, that what's so frustrating about watching Justin Fields right now is that, you know, he can do it. Like you've seen it, like you saw it. In, in stretches last year and you see it in stretches and plays or maybe the occasional series that he can string together but that's not what professional quarterback play is professional quarterback play is stringing together games 
in games and then maybe you have an off day and you have to recalibrate and, and you get back on track, right? Like that's the consistency that you're looking for at the professional level. Not, man, he really looked good on those four throws in the second quarter. Like that, that's not a thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of guys that can do that. And so, uh, you know, how much of this is on Justin? Well, you know, a percentage. Now, how much of this is on the weapons, right? Like you have the, the past catchers, the, the guys that are, uh, you know, running the exact same route. Somebody's wrong there. Right. Like that's either Luke yep. Getze or it's one of those two wide receivers. I have to imagine it's one of those two wide receivers. Why yep. is Colkmet and you know DJ Moore running the exact same route on the same play? And so they're in the same space together. And Justin rips it in there. You know, Cole Komet reaches his hand out to try to, you know, knock down the ball or whatever he did. It might have been complete. Might have been intercepted. I don't know, but like it might have been complete to, to DJ Moore if he lets it go. So there's a lot wrong here. And who do you dole the blame out to? And, you know, what does Everflus do here? So um, it's it's an interesting take. I would encourage you to go read Ben's article in The Ringer. Uh, but I'm not sh- I agree with you. I'm not sure that anything is too complex. Um, I think that there's just a lot wrong. And I'm not sure what you do to fix it. I would start with some culpability, quite frankly. Um, you know, you played football all the way up through college, um, you know. I, I would almost guarantee we haven't talked about this specifically, but I would almost guarantee in your sports experience, there were times where guys weren't cutting it and your coach did something to let them know that it might've been punitive, like lapse. It might've been lack of playing time, you know, sit your, sit your can down. We're not, you, you don't get to do that anymore. Cause you didn't do it right. Next guy up. Like there's, there's a lot of different ways you can do it soft or, positively or negatively there's you know that's all teaching and coaching but you have to do it the bottom line is you have to do it you cannot have guys out there play after play series after series game after game doing like lots of bad things i'm not talking about a mental mistake almost everybody makes at least one mental mistake per game like but when guys are making multiples in the same series like you got to sit that guy down. I don't care about the contract. I don't care about the draft status. I don't care about the favor of the position coach. I don't care about anything like that guy is actively keeping us from winning. And I'm going to show all of you, not just him or his position group. When you don't do your job, you sit like you will bring, we'll find somebody who can is the phrase. And there seems to be none of that. And that may be through, well, some of it is through roster stacking and lack of, any options behind the players they're doing it some of it is clearly through favoritism and when that stuff happens it is like rot in the ship any team i've ever been on where somebody keeps screwing up and the coach allows it and makes excuses for it not only do they lose you know the efficiency of that player doing their job on the on the field or the court they also lose the the sort of confidence of the rest of the team going well dude, he's out there doing the wrong thing all the time. And he just keeps getting starts, keeps getting playing time. Like what's my incentive to do well here? Um, The meritocracy piece of this just goes away. And the NFL at its base is meritocracy. Do your job or get moved on because there's somebody else behind you that can. And when you don't do that for whatever reason across the board, like nobody is missing playing time here and multiple people should be missing playing time on both sides of the ball. And that really does fall on the coaches, not just the accountability, but also why are so many people missing so many assignments so often? Um, that speaks to very poor coaching and control, and there's no answer for that. And if the coaches won't hold people accountable, then it's the GM's job. And if the GM's job won't do it, then it's the owner's job. Like the buck stops somewhere, and right now the buck doesn't stop anywhere. People just keep screwing up, and that leads to what we're seeing on the field, which is a horrible, horrible football product. And with the four practices this summer, I went to two individual practices at Alice Hall, and then I went to two combined practices, the Colts facility. And the thing that I talked to Blesser about, you know, recapping those practices, we talked about how uh, I think we used the word workmanlike or like it was calmer, like, you know, that we were trying to phrase it in a way to kind of signal that it really lacked the intensity. And I think we were trying to spin it positively and say like, okay, you're settling in, you kind of know what's what, but there wasn't really a lot of urgency. There wasn't a lot of intensity that you saw in the first year. Now, again, they didn't play good football in that first year, but there was an intensity to kind of set 
your agenda to try to figure, you know, this hits philosophy. This is what we're all about. And I didn't see really any of that in, in year two. And again, four practices wasn't there for all of them. That's a pretty good chunk of the training camp. Mm-hmm. And it just felt a little flat and they <laughs> have come in in the first two weeks and they look flat. I mean, they are dead on arrival flat. So yeah. there, there's something more going on than just like, oh, it's bad play calling or it's, just, it, it's kind of everything right now. Like nothing really works. Um, there's not a, uh, you know, guys working together to really, um, really bring this up. And I just, I think it starts at the top. I, I just, I'm not sure that coach Eberflus is a, a rah-rah guy necessarily, but he's the CEO position, but he's not bringing, you know, a scheme that's that guys are necessarily seeing to have success. They're one of the worst defenses in the leagues through two years, through two weeks. Uh, they were the worst defense in the league last year. Right. So, you know, you're just, what are you buying into? Right. Like, you know, what are you bringing that you're buying into? And it doesn't feel like either side of the ball is really buying into anything right now. I would completely agree. And again, you've been on teams. I've been on teams. You know what the language is when the team is not working out, to put it lightly. When a team is not playing as a team, not having success, we're seeing all those things on the field. Uh, You know, a typical one right now is wide receivers throwing their hands up with the times they don't run the same route and they're wide open. I mean, as open as you're ever going to see. And nobody's even looking at them because the play has already broken down or the blocking has gone or, or Justin's looking right at him and he won't cut it loose. And guys are like throwing their hand up. And I'm not talking like I beat my guy, the you know, what's typically called the mailbox, right? You, you flag your hand and like, I got it. Like, I'm free. Hit me now. Like guys standing in the middle, like clapping. That's when when wide receivers are doing that, like typically professional wide receivers are not doing that. When wide receivers are doing that, it is to bring attention to the fact that they have done their job and they are wide open, probably not for the first time. This is not something that a professional wide receiver is going to do on the first go. This is the third or fourth time that they've run their route. They're wide open. Nobody's looking at them. It's a, it's a gain. It's something that can help move the team. And they're going to start to show that frustration. And when they show that openly, they're fully aware that everybody's watching. There's a million camera camera angles, that it's all in 4K, and that people are going to see them jumping up and down, having a hissy fit. Like That is not professional behavior for athletes, in my opinion. When that is already occurring on the field, and it was happening in week one. We saw it in week one. Week two, we saw more of it. We saw DJ Morgan into the act this week, who, again, I consider him a very professional wide receiver based on the length of his career and and his composure in not great situations in Carolina, right? In week two, he's on the field like, yo, yo, come on. When that's already showing at that sort of public level, that might not seem like a big deal to a lot of people. That is a huge deal. You are seeing it on the offensive line with guys just absolutely olaying blocks and then kind of like already reaching to pick up Justin before he gets sacked. Like, that is so cart before the horse. You understand that as an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, I think fans understand that defensive secondary folks like, come on. Like that was your guy. You're seeing it everywhere. It's not just one unit and it's week two. Like yeah. this is normally like back third of the season. Our quarterback got hurt. We're not going to win the division. We know we're just playing out the string and people are getting frustrated. But even then, usually young guys are kind of stepping up going, Hey, I'm going to get some playing time. This is my resume. Like still that professional composure gets maintained. It's gone. Like it was never there. It was happening in week one. That's terrifying. I saw Andrew in the comments said terrifying. Like that's terrifying stuff. And then it's all over the team. Like what do you save at that point? Nobody's buying in. There isn't like, oh, this is one bad apple. The typical phrase, if we get him out of here, you know, we'll have a professional composure in the locker room. Like I don't see any of that. And I don't see a quick way to it either. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and again, that starts with Ever Blues. <clears throat> ah. You all right? Yeah. Just got a <laughs> uh little in my throat there. Um so I got a question from the comments here uh from Quasar. Uh, would y'all take 10 to 1 odds that Flus brings a blitz on more than 10% of plays? No one is getting home. Um, on the year. Yeah, I'll take your money. Um, bears have a 17% uh, blitz rate right now. I will gladly take your money at a 10 to one rate. Um, below 10% would be 
incredibly, incredibly low. Now they are way too low given that they don't have a good front four. And so, I mean, the question is, is in the right spirit and that there, there needs to be a higher blitz rate because you don't have the dudes up front to just win with four. Right. So their blitz rate through two games is 17.9%. That's really low. <clears throat> One of the lowest rates in the league. Uh, the only teams that are lower so far are the bills. Bills can get away with that. They're fine. Um, the, the, the Colts, which I don't know, you tell me. Yeah, um, well, that's not great. <laughs> given, right. Given the yeah. lineage of the current coaching staff yeah, and, and where they came from. And that is, that is it. That's the only one that I can see yeah. off the top. Uh, Tennessee is about the same, which again, Tennessee can do their find up front too. So, um, you know, even teams like the Eagles 20%, which is about the same, you know, that that's, that's what I would expect the blitz rate for a really good defensive front team, right? Where you don't have to bring anything else, right? And what I saw at least a little bit more of in week two was I started to see a few more stunts up front. And so it wasn't necessarily bringing an extra guy, but it was starting to play twists and games with your front four. And so just something different. Like week one, it was, I felt like it was all just <clears throat> four guys go and you're one-on-one and, or you're going to get double teamed and just try to beat your guy. There's just no creativity. There's just nothing. Everything was just super simple and they made it as easy as possible on, on Jordan Love. There's just no confusion. You just can't do that. You just can't do that. But through two weeks, I think there's only one sack. Um, can't do that either. So you got, you got to find a way to bring pressure. And I think that you've proven through the first two weeks that it's not just going to happen if you're down four. No, you do not have the horses and what's there's a couple things about you don't have the horses that um that really have troubled me throughout the week and and especially today it really started to come home when you take an objective look at this roster and like who's doing it in terms of who's performing again that's a very tough assessment because if the quarterback isn't seeing the field you're not going to know whether receivers would be winning because they're not getting the ball thrown to them so it it's a cascade effect that can make assessment very difficult but like offensive line just not enough we we were a bit surprised um, i would say a lot surprised in the offseason when the bears didn't address the center position that meant they were fairly sure felt confident about what they had you know quote unquote in the barn to go back to the horse bit um they they were wrong like patrick lucas patrick was not good enough last year when he was on the field he's been terrible this year Snaps are spraying all over the place. He's not winning his blocking assignments. He's certainly not getting any movement in the run game. I would call him a minus if we're grading pluses and minuses. Like I would call him a minus. White hair uh, is cooked. Like he's been, he looks like he's been declining for a couple of years. I was hoping for a rebound health. You never know with a guy. I mean, Quentin Nelson was cooked last year. He was bad. He was objectively awful. He's back. <laughs> and I was hoping, you know, to a lesser extent that Cody Whitehair would be the same thing. Like he's not, he's reaching, uh, his sets aren't great. He's getting beat with regularity. He's sometimes getting movement in the run game, but like not regularly. Um, right guard, you know, you've had a guy you signed. He hasn't been around when he was around. He had some very good reps in the run game. He had some very terrible reps in the past game. And again, that's just coordination more than physical ability. So maybe right guard will stabilize. They get Davis back in the building. I don't know. Right tackle, first round pick. He's a young guy showed some flashes. He's getting B, but like again, he should be getting help from the other four guys. Uh, and instead, he's pretty much running for his life by himself. And then left tackle, he had a promising young left tackle who did not play great to start the year, but now is on IR. You're already to you know, yeah, you expected to have Tevin Jenkins. Like the the core basis of this line like is crushed, and it's week two, and there aren't any like besides Tevin coming back, which could maybe stabilize your interior core a bit. Like that's it. That's all you're getting. <laughs> you're already losing guys like for at least four weeks, if not longer. That's not good enough. Like we said, ah, I don't know. It's kind of like, there's a lot of things that you look at in the preseason roster building, um, some body language stuff from like uh, fan fest practices. Like you said, seemed flat when I went to my four practices. Um, and we all kind of went, ah, oh, yeah, but eh, it's better. It's better. It's better. And now as we look at it kind of starkly two weeks in objectively, 
it doesn't look better. <laughs> Receiving core looks like it's still undermanned. Uh, the offensive line is crushed. The defensive line doesn't have the dudes. Like your linebackers look pretty good. Your secondary, if they could stay healthy, has enough dudes. Your running back room looks pretty good. Quarterback is a huge question mark. Tight end is a non-starter in my opinion. Like Cole Komet is a serious liability on the field right now, both blocking and receiving. And you just look at how many position groups like you would say, oh, I would take this group versus not any other group in the league, but you know, an average group in a league. I would take the average group in a league over 80% of the Bears position groups right now. Yeah, not running back, but other than that, you know. Yeah, running back, maybe secondary, linebacker is a possible, but other than that, like right. You are you are wildly undermanned. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I think that their wide receivers you could make an argument are around the average mark. So it may not be that much of an upgrade, but but that's because you have DJ Moore, who I really like, and he's a good number yeah. one. And I think Mooney's a good number two, right? So that, that's it's a pretty good start. Uh, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, let, let's move on to this one before we take a break. Um, because this one's always fun. This is always a fun one. Uh, what player from Bears history would you slot into the current roster to make the most impact in turning the season around? I only get one because it's going to take a lot yeah. more than one. Yeah, it's going to take more than one for sure. How about but I one love this question. one defense? Yeah, I saw this question when it came in, and I, I immediately kind of had a, a reflex bounce answer, and then I was like, no. And same as you, I was like, well, I could do it here, or I could do it here, it could do like there's no shortage of places where a star, uh, you know. Bears player from a previous era would would not help here. Um, I don't know. One offense, one defense. That'll make it easier, but not easy. Um, I For this defense, at least on paper, and it's very difficult because we're not seeing on field what they think of it on paper. Um, prime Tommy Harris, like mm-hmm. super healthy Tommy Harris, like, I had this thought um, yesterday. I thought, uh, well, it was two days ago, actually, because I was watching a Steelers game, and I was like, what if Larry Ogunjobi had worked out? Like, what if he hadn't failed the medical? Like, it just feels like that was their very first move. It was their spotlight. They wanted it. It was the important position, obviously, in their defense. It didn't work out, and then it just feels like kind of everything after that has been a bad second effort pivot, Um, but a very dominant three-tech, is supposed to drive this defense like a lot of opportunities in this defense get funneled towards that position and a prime you know first couple of years pre-injury tommy harris would be making a big difference on that hey you're lining up four he, he's gonna win a bunch of those and probably eventually draw double teams so my first gut instinct we'll, we'll do we'll complete the defense thought and we'll move to offense my first gut instinct thought was tommy harris because of just that right like that three technique and he, you know he's gonna get off the line quick, you know, like Tommy Harris was the man at, at time in the, the, the snap. He was in the backfield before, you know, the running back to take the snap. Sometimes he was great at that. Uh, and then I thought, and I love Tommy Harris. Tommy Harris was a cool guy. I can still remember the draft night, like the suit he's wearing, he's wearing sunglasses, <laughs> like I mean, cool customer, right? I don't know that they need cool customer. I think they need someone who's going to knock helmets together. And so I'm going to go back a little further and I am going to give a shout to one Mr. Mongo, Steve McMichael. And I'm going to say that you need somebody who is just going to just put that team and just like get them jacked up every, every week. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we all know Mongo's uh, health right now. We know that he is a finalist uh, from the senior committee to make the hall of fame. So he's back in the news here. He's going to make the hall of fame like that. That's now just like a, a yes vote from the committee. So he's going to finally get his due. He is a hall of fame player. Always has been. It took a long time for some reason uh, for him to get into there officially, but this is a hall of fame defensive lineman, but I want him for the attitude more than anything. Um, and, and obviously an incredible player, a guy that can get interior uh, pressure, something that is now being appreciated and maybe wasn't as appreciated back then, but is now like super important. Uh, I just think that his mentality is what this team needs. No, I would agree. He came to mind as well. And, and, and moreover, this sort of concept that you got to secondarily was the first thing that came into mind. And 
we're talking about offense, the first guy I thought of was Walter Payton because A, he's my f- favorite football player of all time. He's also a guy that can give you a bunch of different roles. He was good at everything he did, but it was more so the he is not going to let you be not excellent. Like that is not going to be acceptable effort. You're not going to get stuff like what Chase Claypool did in week one. That's not going to fly. Like Walter's going to fix that in the locker room. He's going to go up to that guy and go, what are you doing? This is like, this is the greatest job in the world. What are you, what are you doing? And you know, he's going to have again, the accountability. So I was thinking about that, but I pivoted to a more practical answer, which is Jay Hilgenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and let's we are just still on the same page, by the way. Let's let's just start with the middle of the line and go. We'll have something. We'll have one guy out of five that knows what the hell's going on and can handle his own assignments. Let's go with Jay Hilgenberg. All right. So you know, my first instinct was to talk about Olin, right? Because you get that yep. attitude. Yep. And there is a guy from way back. So if you want the history machine, which I'll give you. Uh, the guy from way back, back in the twenties, who's in the hall of fame. So you have to like, use your imagination that this guy could, you know, come forward and, you know, you have modern health and nutrition and be a good football player and all that kind of stuff. His name is George Trafton. George Trafton mm. was one of the most interesting characters in bears history. At one point he picked a fight with the white Sox first baseman and uh, they like made it like a boxing match and he knocked him out. Uh, and then he actually got to fight a professional fight at some point and he got knocked out uh, by a <laughs> professional boxer. And then they like took his card uh, because he was knocked out too fast. Like they're like, you're not a boxer. You need to you're a palooka. But no, he no. was like this brawler. Right. And so, again, yeah. kind of that mentality of wanting that Olin Cruz. I want somebody who's going to get these guys going on offense, on defense. And so if I can get. I don't need just skill, right? Like I think Jimbo Covert, amazing guy. That would have been an interesting answer, particularly with the news with Braxton Jones going on IR, get your hall of fame left tackle. That's a really smart team building move right now. I need energy right now. I need guys that are going to crack each other and be, and make, make them accountable. And so yeah. one of those centers, you know, you want to say bulldog Turner, you want to say George Trafton, you want to say Jay Hildenberg, who's a incredible, uh, good player, uh, for from his era, you want to say Olin Krutz, also, you know, a second team all decade center. Like Bears have an amazing center history. And when yeah. those centers have been in place, there have been some pretty good teams. And I think it's because that center is a leader on that football field. So I think we are totally on the same page uh, with that question. We're going to hit a quick break here um, so that we can have somebody pay for this bourbon on the other side of this. Uh, we'll uh, get into more of your questions. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. 
And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, EJ. So I've got uh, one from Oak Lightning, who I think is a longtime WCGer. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen this name yep. quite a bit. Um, he asked, did Ryan Poles not do enough this offseason in order to build around fields? And then his secondary question is, could it be he's not all in on fields and maybe Eberflus as well? So let's deal with that those one at a time. Did he not do enough this offseason to build around Justin Fields? I saw an interesting tweet yesterday, and you know that I concentrate a lot on the draft, but I also am very interested in team building in all its facets, free agency, trades, draft, whatever. I looked at, and somebody put this up there, of just the free agents that Ryan Poles has brought in. And, you know, as you look at it as now a growing and sort of some total body of work, it is pretty meh. <laughs> from the free agency side. There is very little to sort of grow about on that side. That's, that's really good. And in fact, a lot of those guys are no longer with the team, which is crazy because polls has only been in the job for two years. Now, last year he had his hands tied monetarily. And I, you know, took that into account when I was saying, Hey, this is who we can get. Like everybody knows what the bears are. Not everybody's going to show up for that. Some people are going to tell their agents, like, I don't want to go waste a year on the bears because they're not going anywhere this year. And that's not Ryan Poles' fault. So he had to do what he had to do last year. And I gave him a bit of a pass because last year he was cleaning the closet. He was absolutely getting rid of all the old contracts, eating all the dead money. And that's just a fact of life in the NFL that he inherited again, not his fault this year. He had all the money in the NFL. He had historical free agent money. And I can't say that I'm in love with pretty much any of the choices. Now, he traded for DJ Moore, so that takes him out of this free agency signing bucket. Um, But that entire list, as you looked at it top to bottom and you thought about like, because it brings you back to that period of free agency and you're like, oh, who else was available? And again, we don't know all the behind the scenes machinations with agents and everything else, but almost always I felt like, ah, that's that's my second choice or that's my third choice or I wouldn't have chosen that guy at all. Like there were many other choices available and you you take them all sort of individually and then you see them all on a list and it just has a different weight, had a different weight for me. I was like, Ooh, that, you know, that feature of Ryan Poles' game right now is not super strong based on this track record, very short track record, but a lot of guys, a lot of transactions on there. And so when you say it didn't do enough, I'm like, he did a lot, but was it all quality? And the answer is there's very little quality in that list. Now, draft picks up and down a little better, but there's still like you and I have this discussion like, oh, this guy was on the board. It goes back to Komet, which was not his pick, right? But Komet represented an opportunity cost. If you didn't take Komet, you could have taken Anton Woodfield Jr. (laughs) And like, I think... Any, any NFL fan now goes back and goes, hey, who do you want? Cole Komet or Antoine Winfield Jr.? Like, oh, Antoine Winfield Jr. In a, in a heartbeat, no problem. Well, we said that at the time, but it's an opportunity cost. And we said, hey, maybe Komet will be a decent player. He's turned out to be a less than decent player. He is not good if you watch film. There are a lot of people that are Cole Komet defenders, and they will say it is scheme or it is this or is that. Cole Komet is not executing his assignments basically at all right now like running or passing. They're very, very average, sometimes below average. So there's an opportunity cost to have that guy be your TE1 and taking up a bunch of money. You just resigned him for a big contract. So it gets down to, did they do enough? And the answer is they did a lot, but I'm not in love with the quality right now. Last year, I give them a pass. I understand it's a set of circumstances. This year, very different set of circumstances, very similar results. Yeah, I think that you could probably make a pretty good case that he wasn't in on fields last year and he sort of tried to make him prove it um, with nothing around him. And because he didn't do much and you probably could have done something, even using those first two picks in round two on players that could have helped the offense right away. They went to the defense. Again, this is nothing against Kyler Gordon, who looked he's flying around the field you know before he got hurt looks like he could be a good football player we like kyler gordon you liked it at the time right jaquan brisker we like the player you know it was just again it's that opportunity cost you you draft those guys at the expense of of adding to the offensive side of the football 
And then you look at the moves that he were, were made on the offensive side. You know, you went into the season thinking that Cody Whitehair was going to give you a, a good, healthy year, that you were fine with with Lucas Patrick. You know, those you evaluated those few snaps that he was able to give you last year, and you said, "Yeah, this guy's fine." You know, we're okay with him as a as as an option here, and he's playing a lot, right? Like he's this, he's in there now, right? Like it's that's that's on you. You had to make a desperation trade to get Dan Feeney, right? You had to <laughs> you had to get Dan Feeney for a sixth round pick because. You were like, oh no, uh, this 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 plan might not work here, right? And so, you know, you came in as an offensive line guru, like that was those were your credentials. I'm not seeing it, right? And then, you know, the moves that have been made for wide receiver, I love DJ Moore, so that's great. Um, but everybody's going to kill you on the Claypool thing, and right now, deservedly so. Unless Claypool makes a huge turnaround um, from the last 15 games of the year, it's going to go down as a as a really bad move, and and so. Like it or not, you're going to get judged for that. Uh, you know, there was opportunities to take wide receivers in the draft that have looked pretty good so far, um, and you, you chose to to go in other directions. So, you know, it's it is what it is. Um, it's all good in theory. You know, you talk through it on paper, but once you get onto the grass, that that's what counts. Um, and so, I don't think he did enough. Now, why could that be? Any number of reasons. You know, the first year was a teardown. I think he did exactly what he wanted to do. I think he ripped to the studs and he got the first pick overall. That's exactly what he wanted to do. Mission accomplished. Um, but I think the second season, he thought he was going to get out of this rut pretty quick and that hasn't happened. So he may have dug himself too deep of a hole. Um, I don't know if it's not that he's not all in on fields now. Cause I think that that decision to be made for that was in April or may or whatever the draft was. Yeah, yeah. Because you had the first pick and you traded it before that. But like, uh, that's when you make that decision, right? That that was you now own Justin Fields uh, and and what he does for you after this. This whole idea that well, every GM will get to draft their own first round quarterback. He had this mm-hmm. is it. Like he got to pick him. He could have said, you know what, we love Justin, but we really want to reset the quarterback clock here. We have the number one pick. We really like Bryce Young. We really like CJ Stroud. Whatever the whatever the case is. And you say, we're, we're sticking and picking and, and we're going to take our guy and we're going to reset. Best of luck to Justin. We're going to move him somewhere where he can get a chance, right? No, you stuck with it. And and now you own this, right? And mm-hmm. so I don't know that it's because you're not all in on Justin Fields. The whole Everflus thing, like you hired him. Like, I, I don't know how you can't be all in on you. It, Poles has to own Matt Everflus because he came in with him. So he might get to yeah. pick another coach but he has to own who, who Matt Eberflux is. No, I, I fully agree. And we, Chicago has a thing with coaches, certainly in my more recent lifetime where they, they just want the safe coach and the safe coach. Isn't like when John Fox came in, they needed a safe coach. They were trying to put out the fire of, Tressman, which I got to say, I've been having a lot of flashbacks to the end of the Tressman era, like the Claypool apology to the locker room in week one felt very much like I was watching a repool, uh, replay of Aaron Cromer, the offensive line coach, very good offensive line coach who has gone on to have multiple high profile jobs and currently is employed uh, by a very good organization in the NFL right now. But at the end, like Cromer threw up his hands and said, this is nuts i can't do my job everybody is flailing and all the coaches said hey you don't say that and he was basically spanked in public and made to apologize to everybody and kind of run out of town tart and feathered um but i felt very much like oh this is the cromer incident being repeated with a player um that's not great and then you know justin walking his comments back today after his explosive press conference which we haven't even talked about how crazy is that that we're half an hour into bears over beers on the day it happened and we haven't even mentioned the fact that the starting quarterback sat down and said yo this is bad i'm not doing it anymore this is all paraphrasing but like i'm gonna do what i need to do because i'm not going down with this particular ship like that's startling stuff and we haven't even mentioned it today because of all the other stuff so. yeah I, I mean obviously we're trying to not talk about the super obvious thing because we can't um but and and i saw that in the comments uh shauna jackson here uh hanging out with us on youtube and in the comments very passionately in the comments going back and forth here but uh you know she brought this up about fields calling out the coaching but he better step up 
uh, and play with no more excuses, which, you know, yeah, I mean, I certainly thought that Justin seemed very open and honest in that moment. I loved it. I loved hearing it. Uh, and then he calls the reporters back and tries to walk it back. Now, whether or not the PR staff said, Hey, you need to come walk that back. Or the coaches are like, Hey, Hey, are you, are you taking a shot? Like what's happening here? Justin did like say, Hey, no, everything's on me. I'm not, I'm not trying to blame anybody. I I wish that didn't happen. Gen- that- Genie's out of the bottle, man. You cannot shove that smoke back in the jar. That I'm sorry. That is that is rugged. We're we're with yeah we're yeah we're with you, Justin. So so don't don't walk it back. Um, uh, uh, Quasar had uh, another comment here. It says thanks for fielding my question. Sorry for my uh, understanding of the blitz rate was so wrong. No, 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 sorry that I hope that you didn't think that I was, no. uh, you know, dogging you on that. I was just going to take your money. That's it. Um, you know, I, I, lo- I love gambling. I love prop bets. Basically though, just to kind of set that straight for anybody, a blitz in uh, football is when you bring five or more guys. So that that's all that means, right? So if you're going to rush four, uh, then that's not a blitz. And sometimes you'll hear like a zone blitz, and it could actually just be four guys. It doesn't actually get recorded as a blitz. And what that means is you could have a linebacker uh, come in and blitz or you know rush the quarterback, but a, a defensive lineman backs up into coverage. And so if only four rush the quarterback, that's not considered a blitz, but you might call it a zone blitz because football can be confusing. And we like to, you know, have some misnomers every now and then, but it's just that that's the simple concept. Um, you see rates game to game that you know you could you could have a game where uh oh jb or they like just i don't know if everybody else is losing jb but i'm losing jb he's getting real he's getting real uh stop motion animation um i know he's been struggling with internet a little bit might be me, might be him, but right now he's frozen and I'm moving. So I'm going to keep talking. Um, Shauna brought up the point that uh, it's very easy to lose track. Oh, you're back. Just keep going, man. You're going to have to I fill did. in. I don't, I, I, don't know what, I don't know why that's happening to me no, lately. And, and that's sorry, all right. I feel it's not great. It's okay. I was just picking up Shauna's question or Shauna's statement, actually, uh, that I think is a good one, um, is that uh, you know, it's very easy when there's this many things wrong to say, Oh, who's at fault? Like one person is at fault. And we address this a little bit at the top of the show. It is very difficult to assign fault right now. Cause there's so many faults all over the place. And this is really a, both things are true type of thing. When people are saying, is it gets here? Is it fields? The answer is yes. Like Getsy has done some good things where he has put out concepts and the wide receivers have run them and they have been wide open. Like he has done his job as an offensive coordinator and Justin hasn't hit him and that's on Justin. And then there are times where Getsy has done stuff that is really poor, <laughs> like poor situationally, poor from a design standpoint, poor whatever. And again, we don't know if people are not running the right routes or he designed them that way and they just look terrible. So there's plenty of blame to spread around here. And both parties are at fault. Getsy has done some ostensibly horrible things and Justin has been bad. Like there's no other way to say that he is not playing at the level of a professional quarterback right now. He is below that. He is leaving plays on the field. He is what I'll call short selling plays, which is hitting a check down when you have a wide open throw at a mid or medium distance. Um, and it kind of hides the fact, like, Oh, it was a completion. And he picked up three or four yards. Well, yeah, but he left 12 on the field. Like the guy was wide ass open at 12 yards and he didn't hit him. And so there's plenty of blame to spread around. They both have been bad. They both need to get better. Like, again, one of them getting better is not going to help a lot. Both of them getting better might help some. Um, But without that, short of that, like, you're not going to see the kind of improvement you want to see. Derek in the comments section says, Hallis Hall is trying to silence JB. Not the first time, Derek. Would not be the first time. (laughs) Oh, man. Hallis Hall is trying to trying to they're they're in big time sweeping under the rug mode today we'll we'll see how that all works we'll out see how that works out for them yeah we'll see how that all works out i don't neither jb or i predict well but no, um, we're not gonna know we're not gonna know all the details which is the other reason we're not talking about this is because right. like everybody's hot about it right now we get it yep. we don't know 
And somebody got on me this morning <laughs> and said, well, you should say this. And the situation changed two hours later. And I was like, now I would be issuing a retraction if I had done that. I just didn't say anything about it because I don't know anything about it. And if you know the show, we're going to wait. We're going to take the facts in. We're going to assess them. And then we're going to call it like we see it. We are going to do that. We always do that for you. That's something we founded this show on and that we will continue to do. But we can't do that right now because we don't know what's what. And then I wanted to highlight another Shauna quote here. Uh, don't stir me up. Didn't stir me up. Sorry. Uh, and then she says, I'm generally just pissed at this team. And I think that that basically should be <laughs> sent directly to George McCaskey because by that's, everyone that's that, that is most fans right now. And, yes. and I think that he needs to know that this is what you have created, sir. Uh, and, and it starts way up at the top with you, all of these hires over the years, then your gosh, gar, you know, golly, gosh, darn it. Gee whiz. Hey, handshake out in the, in the, in the crowd. I'm just a fan, just like you. Well, we need you to be a little bit more than that. Right. Or maybe this isn't the right job for you. Maybe there's somebody else in the family that might be better suited to take this on because so far, all of your actions have been pretty terrible. Shauna says, I'm not buying me. He's not performing because he's not a pocket QB. Um, I'm going to throw this out there. It's a baseball analogy for those of you not familiar with baseball. Sorry. Um, Justin Fields right now is playing like a hitter in a slump. He is a very good hitter. We have seen him perform all the actions necessary to be uh, a high-level professional quarterback. I'm talking about running. Talking about throwing, talking about decision making, I'm talking about movement within the pocket, like all of the things, mental and physical, that you need a quarterback to do. He's demonstrated all of them at some point, but he does not demonstrate them consistently. And right now, he's demonstrating very, very few of them. And when a hitter gets in a slump in baseball, even a very good hitter, everything goes wrong. They're not seeing the ball very well, they're swinging at pitches they should hold up on, they're holding up on pitches they should swing on. They're second-guessing themselves. They're basically completely in their own head, and their performance looks completely discombobulated. Everybody goes, what is this guy doing? We know he can crank 25, 30 home runs a year. He can't even get solid contact. Like He can't get on first base right now. What is going on? We know he's so much better an athlete and, and a hitter than this, and we know Justin is a better athlete right now than he's playing as, and we also know he's a better quarterback than he's playing as right now. But the objective results on the field are he is, to coin a word, flummoxed. He has no idea which way is up or down on most plays. He is hesitating. He is uh, holding balls he should throw. He's throwing balls he should hold. It's just like a hitter that is in the deep middle of a slump. And hitters break out of that in different ways, and so do quarterbacks. And I'm hoping that he breaks out because we've seen him play at a much higher level. And I want him to find that unlock in himself or through coaching points or, or however that is. It's different for everybody, but we know he's better than this. Like, and we all wanted to see like how good that is because that was the question we were supposed to answer this year. We're not going to get an answer to that question in the current state. It's not until some of those fixes are applied because right now it's just all bad. Like there's, there's so little good in his game. Let me let me continue your baseball talk. And I'm gonna okay. go a little I'm gonna go a little baseball stat. All right. Would, and let me ask you a question. Do you know what OPS is? Mm-hmm. Would you rather have a guy with a high OPS or would you <laughs> rather which uh, on base plus slugging percentage? Yeah. Or would you rather have a guy with a high batting average? Uh that is a difficult question, but in a football translating that to a football context, uh these days I would lead lean towards the OPS, the high OPS guy. Yes, that's the correct answer. Right. So it's explosive plays. Right. So that so to me, OPS again, that means your on-base percentage plus your slugging. So it counts your total bases plus how often you get on base. And so in baseball, you want a guy with a high OPS. That's more important than a high batting average. So if a guy just, if he hits 300, that's, that's great. Like traditionally be like, Oh my God, that's a great hitter. And that is a great hitter. But if he's hitting singles and that's it, 
um, that's actually not that impressive because his OPS is probably not particularly high. You want a guy that's hitting doubles. You want a guy that's hitting it out of the ballpark. And then overall, when you look at that, that's a bigger impact on the game. And I think that there is something there. Maybe I need, you know, I need to sit down and I need to create some kind of formula or something that says, you know, here, this is the OPS for quarterbacks. This is how yeah. many explosive plays this guy creates. This, these are the, the big passes. These are the big chunk runs that he can create. This is what this guy can do that is way, you know, better than just the guy that, you know, can just hit short passes with high frequency, right? That's that's the high batting average. There's nothing wrong with it, right? I mean, you can win a lot of games, particularly if you have a lot of good players, if you have a high batting average quarterback. You're just a guy that's just hitting the short routes and playing on time. That's not Justin Fields. I mean, maybe he could get there in some alternative universe and, and you know teach himself all that. But that is clearly not what he is. He is a high OPS guy, right? So you're basically asking... Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani or you know one of these great power hitters, you're asking them, hey, we don't actually really want you to clear the fence here. Like, can you just try to just poke the ball into left field and just just you know get on base? That, that's what we're looking for. And so you're trying to take that guy's best asset away from him. And I just don't think that that works. It's just not very smart. You have a high OPS player. Use that. Use that to your advantage. Take, take the ball long, let him break off chunk runs, right? Like build the offense out of that. You have a power hitter and, and, and taking the, that club out of his hand is, is only doing you a disservice. So for me, that's, that's what I think is just wrong with this is that we, we took the, the, the guy that has a particularly set of set of tools that could be special, but you're trying to make him into something else. Yeah, there's two things about that. Your batting average uh, analogy is Russell Wilson from week one. He completed 27 passes for 177 yards. Like almost 30 balls completed for sub 200 yards. That's like, not right. Yeah, that that's, is, that's not that, great. That is that's not, not open for the most part moving the needle. He did score two touchdowns, so that leans more towards your OPS. The second is, what the hell is Greg Roman doing right now? <laughs> And is he friends with Luke Getze? Because the really good thing about Greg Roman is his running concepts and in particular, his power quarterback running concepts. That's what made Lamar Jackson so dangerous the last three years is QB power run correctly when the Ravens did it with Lamar was basically unstoppable. And Justin is equal to Lamar in a lot of quarterback running categories, which is astounding because Lamar is an exceptional runner, but he is more elusive. Justin has more power and I would say more flat out speed. So you start running QB power effectively with Justin Fields, like on a regular basis, like you're going to put the fear of God in some defenses because it's not going to be stoppable. Then yes, you sprinkle in those higher OPS passes and that's the basis for a real offense. So don't let Greg Roman touch the passing game. I will never say that, but bring him in as a run consultant and say, Hey, how did you do all that great stuff with Lamar? Because we need to institute that because we've got a, you know, we've got a gold nugget here in terms of quarterback running. Like this is one of the all time great quarterback runners. We need to run him eight or nine times a game. And people say, Oh, the hits would, you got to find out at this point. Like you got to see if he can hold up through that. Yep. Uh, I wanted to make sure we got this one in the show. Cause I feel like you have an answer. Uh, and so this is from, Oh yeah, I do actually uh, Juan gone 1105. And he says, what's your favorite Scorsese movie? And, and I asked back on Twitter, I said, uh, producer or director, because if you're not familiar, not familiar with Martin Scorsese, he has extensive credits, uh, as a producer and a director and as also as an actor, he has like 28 films he's acted in. So, um, lots and lots of choices here and i wanted to narrow it down this was just me trying to not have to do the entire catalog um i don't know how you answered this question but i just scrolled through until i found a movie that i stopped on that i said if that was on i would stop what i was doing and watch it right now no matter what and for me that's color of money paul newman wow. tom cruise i i love that film if you've not seen it, it has a particular aesthetic. People are going to say, oh, Goodfellas and Casino. Yes, and yes, and yes. Again, this is not a, there's no right answer here. There are a lot it's of your great favorites. Films. There's no right or wrong answer. 
Yeah. And I got to like, I, I looked at Casino. I was like, that's a great film. I love that film. Goodfellas, great film. Love that film. Uh, you know, Gangs of New York. Like there's a, there's a lot of great films in there. And I was like, great. But I, I was like, oh, color, color money, color money done. Because uh, the answer was, by the way, not producer, director. It's looking for a Scorsese directed picture for the answer to this question. For me, I got to color money and stopped. I was like, color money. That's interesting. I, so originally I would have said Goodfellas. That was the one that was like the obvious one. And I think that's probably the one that I have seen the most. That's also Mm -hmm. because I, so I just had like a longer relationship with it. I think the departed uh, came in and it just sort of like punched you in the face, you know, and and then the rewatch value on departed for me, isn't as high. Um, Same thing with gangs in New York. I love that movie minus the casting decision on Cameron Diaz, but like, I love the movie, but like, I, it's, that's a long haul there. It's right? a thing. Yeah. And so, uh, for me, the answer for me actually is Wolf of wall street. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that on there and I was like, in terms of pure fun, it's like, fun, man. That is a fun movie. It's and- messed up, but it's fun. And then once <laughs> you realize kind of what up. the, what he's doing, I mean, it's a, it's a masterful, uh, directing mass. I mean, he, he's a, it's a masterpiece really. Like he, he really does sort of take you through and, you know, you don't know what's BS and what's real and, and, and all this, but, uh, I, I, if I'm, if that movie's on, like I'm in a hotel and I, I'm talking yeah. through an HBO, you know, and that's on, I'm, yep. That's what I'm doing. How, how much is left? Oh, an hour and a half. All right. This is what I'm doing. I'm next in, hour and yep. a half, right. Yeah. So that's a pretty good measure. Um, and, and that, that movie I have seen quite a bit since it's come out. So that's actually my answer is Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I see Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, of course. Like, again, good, when, you good movies. Get, when you get someone, I mean, look, he's a towering figure in Hollywood. Scorsese, again, producer, director, actor, career spanning decades and decades, quality in every one of them. It's not like he started off on a hot streak and then tailed off or vice versa. Like, he has done, there was all kinds of documentaries in there that I haven't watched. And it was really fun to look through the whole list to go, damn, this is just a super productive, creative guy who has produced quality all over the board. Absolute legend. So again, there's no right answer. You can never include all the quality stuff. You can never satisfy everybody. But I just looked for a film that he directed that I was like, and I hadn't rewatched Color of Money in a long time. And I rewatched it. I think it was last year. I sat down. I was like, oh yeah. And I rewatched it. And I was like, damn, the, the tone. There are a couple movies that tone is just so clearly struck throughout the whole thing. And the tone of color of money is one, um, not a film he did, but hell or high water is another tone movie for me where they were going for a particular sort of aesthetic and they just, they just nailed it all the way through. I was like, we could talk Coen brothers sometime, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about right that? So um we're at an hour i think that that's a that's a pretty good place to, to cap a podcast and so uh, i wanted to get out of there with a fun one um yep. if we didn't get to your question some of them i think can roll over all right you know we it's a long season guys we'll we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll deal with them one at a time i know it was a crazy day of news and everything um hopefully uh you guys understand what we can and can't talk about and what, yep. what we're choosing to to discuss but We'll try to keep it on, keep it fun, keep it the football. Uh, it's gonna. We didn't even talk about the Chiefs um, because I think we know that that was <laughs> gonna be pretty tough. So uh, it's gonna be a rough game. We'll 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 do our best to recap that one next week and uh, and move on to a game that we think might you know potentially be a little closer, which would be against the Broncos, who haven't won a game yet either. So uh, thanks for joining us, uh, EJ. Anything final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no, I've decided that I might go see Panthers Seahawks <laughs> like in person <laughs> because it's the same time slot as the bears. And then I'll have a really good excuse to not watch the bears game and be like, Hey, I was at Lumen field. Sorry. I didn't see it. What happened? Um, even though knowing full well, probably what happened. I'm, I'm taking the Seahawks and survivor this week. So, uh, you Ooh. can be my, my proxy to cheer for them and make sure that they, you know, it gives me something to cheer for because of course we want the Panthers to lose as many games as possible this year. So, yeah. uh, all right, guys, we'll get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for joining us live. Thanks for joining us whenever you're watching this or listening to it. Uh, and until next week, bear down.
Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.